least ignore. Good morning, everyone. It is a beautiful morning to praise the Lord. Let's stand up and lift our hearts up to him.
Deuteronomy 18, 18 says, I will raise up a prophet like you for them from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth and he will speak for them whatever I command. Let's pray together. Lord, we're blessed and we're so thankful that you kept your word alive through the prophets and through the word of God. Lord, we're thankful that we can come together this morning for this time of worship and pray that we can just focus on you. Lord, we're here to celebrate Jesus together and it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to see you today. We're glad that you've chosen to worship with us today as we lift up Christ together. Make sure you fill out your connection card for us. There's a way you can do it electronically, or there's cards in front of you in the pew, in the pew, in the chairs. Still thinking old school. And uh, for those of you who are online, you'll see a phone number across the bottom of the screen. You're, you'll be able to uh, connect with us that way. Before we continue with our worship service this, this morning, we're having what we call three minutes of introvert time. I mean, extrovert time. <laughs> Um, we ask that during this three minutes, you go around and say hello to somebody, but try to talk to somebody you haven't seen. And if you see somebody you don't know, them, introduce yourself because we want everybody to feel loved and welcome here at First Christian Church this morning. So you got three minutes.
at five minutes. Come on. Oh, it's really awesome to see everybody fellowshipping together. Really is.
glory to God. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see your good deeds and give honor to your Father in heaven.
73:25 says, "Whom do I have in heaven but you? On earth there is no one I desire but you." be seated.
love technology until it doesn't work. Oh well. Oh, what's going on here? All right. This morning we had some fun too. Well, it's good to see everybody today. We're here to worship together. We're here to, uh, to celebrate Christ. And this morning from the Word of God, we're going to be looking, as we've been going through um, Core 52, one of the things that kind of struck me as I started this, this particular message is that I got to thinking about through the years I've had people come to me asking me questions about things in the Old Testament. They want to know, well, why all the blood? <clears throat> why all the animal sacrifices? Why all the pageantry? Why all of this, all the uh, ceremony? And um, I, um, excuse me, I'm trying to, ah, I don't like that. Anyway, why are all those things happening? And then a bigger question that people will ask is, well, why, as a Christian, why do we even need to worry about the Old Testament? I mean, we have the New Testament. So what do we need the old for? Well, what we're going to do today is we're going to examine Jesus and Moses. And as we look at the, these two people and we learn some things about them, you'll understand a little bit, bit deeper if you don't already know why it's important that we have the Old Testament and what the, the purpose of the Old Testament was. Now, for the nation of Israel, Abraham was the fa considered the father of the nation. Moses was considered the deliverer of the nation. And David, for all intents and purposes, was kind of the nation's ruler. Things were going really well under King David. But of all the people in the Old Testament, the greatest of them all was Moses. And uh, if, you were, if you were to read the Mishnah, it was published at the end of the second, or about sometime in the second century AD, you would clearly see how the religious leaders viewed Moses. The Mishnah was an edited record of a complex body of work that was known as the Oral Torah. And what had happened is when, when Titus came into Jerusalem in AD 70 and just flattened the city because uh, the Jewish people were being a little obstinate with, with Rome, uh, it destroyed everything. And so in the second century, they decided they need to write these oral traditions down. Now, you would think when they were writing them down, it would be very cut and dry, very uniform, but it's really not. What the Torah is full of, it's full of rabbis basically giving their views on different things. For instance, it's a Rabbi Kevin said this, Rabbi George said this, Rabbi Fred said this. They had different names, obviously, but I don't want to try to pronounce the Jewish names. I'm translating them into English. But, uh, and they, so they'd have a subject, and they would have all these different rabbis' views on it, except when it came to Moses. If Moses said it, that sealed it, that was the end of the argument. Mark Moore, who uh, we've been basing our series off of, said that a Jewish rabbi once told him that if you had three rabbis in a room, you'd have five opinions. And this is how the Mishnah kind of goes. But when it came to the teaching of Moses, no one challenged it. Um, that's how highly regarded Moses was, even during Jesus' day. Now, this is important to understand as you read Scripture, because as you read the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels, you, can, you start to understand why the religious leaders were so mad at Jesus at times. Because he, when he taught it appeared that he was disrespecting Moses. It gave the impression that he said, ah, you don't have to worry about this Moses guy, I've got something better. The whole Jewish life was built on the teachings of Moses. And here comes Jesus, who wasn't even going to one of their Bible colleges, if you will. He was just a carpenter's son, and he was talking a lot about Moses' teaching and doing some things with it that they thought were disrespectful. So in some sense of the word, you can kind of understand why the Jewish leaders were at odds with Jesus. 
I mean, imagine being somebody who was trained in your field and, and the, considered the best of your field. Then here comes some dude off the street with no credentials smoking you. I mean, just making you look bad. So they didn't like Jesus a whole lot. But when the Jewish leaders came to Jesus a lot of times, it was usually in regard and reference to something Moses taught. They were always trying to trap Jesus into saying something because, man, if he said the wrong thing, they were going to invite him to a rock party. Well, the message today is another one of the foundational passages that we're studying in our Core 52 series. We're in week six of that series. As we look at this relationship between Jesus and Moses, understanding this relationship will help enable us to better understand how Old and New Testament fit together and, and the actual purpose that we see in the Old Testament. During Core 52, we've been looking at the, we're in the beginning stages of looking at 52 passages in the Bible that will help deepen our understanding. I find it interesting, by the way, that there's nothing out of numbers, just saying. But anyway, um, we're into Deut in Deuteronomy this week. But going clear back to the Garden of Eden, when God announced the consequences for Adam and Eve's sin, which he knew they were going to do, there was a small clue of what was to come. It wasn't game over. God told this to, to the serpent in Genesis 3. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. <clears throat> this is a subtle hint of what was going to come centuries later when Jesus died on the cross, bruised on the head, and then he rose from the grave. Satan thought he won a victory, but he really just bruised Jesus. There was another hint in the covenant of Abraham, through the covenant of Abraham, that after, remember, that's after Adam and Eve, that God says, hey, we got a way, we're going to do something. I'm going to bless all the nations through you not just Israel, everyone. Throughout history, God has left breadcrumbs showing us that all this from Genesis to Revelation actually leads someplace. So this morning, if you want to follow with me, we're going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18, among other passages. I don't know why my remote app's not working. But anyway, here we go. Gen uh, Deuteronomy 18, 18. I will raise up a prophet like you for them from among your fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them whatever I command. So the first thing I want us to see in this relationship is simply this, that Moses was a shadow of Jesus. In the context of our passage in chapter 18, Jesus, or excuse me, Jesus, Moses had been teaching the people. And one of the things that he started to do is he was talking to them and saying, hey, you know what, you guys need to stay away from the occult practices. You don't want to be anywhere near them. Um, because when they were in Egypt, this was common. And in the promised land that they were going to be going into, there was a lot of this going on. And Moses was telling them, God was telling through Moses, listen, stay away from that stuff. Because he didn't want them to do that. And when you look at verses, uh, chapter uh, 18, verses 15 to 17, it tells us this. It says, The Lord your God will raise up from you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. This accords with what happened at Horeb when the, in the day of the assembly you asked the Lord your God, Please do not make us hear the voice of the, God, the Lord of our God anymore or see this great fire lest we die. And the Lord said to me, What they have said is good. See, this isn't the first time that Moses told, told the people that there's something different coming there's something bigger and better coming in the future. Israel, and indeed all the people, would need something greater than even Moses to lead them out of true captivity 
Yes, they were enslaved in Egypt. God needed to deliver them. Moses did that delivery. But the fact of the matter is there's a deeper issue that the Israelites faced and that we face today. And that's that slavery to sin, that, that the bondage that we have to that. And Moses, for all that he could do, as great as he was, he couldn't lead people out of that. One day Moses promised that God would send a new leader, like Moses, but even better than Moses. God told the people that he did not speak through the occult. This is why, he, in part, he wanted them to stay away from it, but rather through his prophets. He doesn't speak through fortune tellers and all these things. Uh, I've known people who spent lots of money with California psychics or whatever. I'm like, wow. First thing I'd ask them, what's your name? Do you tell me? Well, what's your credit card number? Well, you tell me. You're supposed to know this stuff. But notice that Moses said that God would raise up a prophet like him who was part of the nation of Israel. This goes back, as we're, as we're kind of stringing things together as we should, back to the covenant of Abraham, where he said all nations will be blessed through him. And so it was important that this future prophet, this future Messiah, would come from the people of Israel. Throughout the nation's history, the Jewish leaders saw Deuteronomy 18.18 18 as a messianic pa passage. In other words, when they looked at that, they said, yeah, this is speaking of Messiah, whenever Messiah is coming. And just as a side note, when John the Baptist, during his ministry, at one point in John chapter 1, they were asking John, are you Elijah? Are you so? And then they said, are you the prophet? And what they're doing is they're alluding to Deuteronomy 18, 18. They're asking John the Baptist, are you this person that Moses spoke about in Deuteronomy 18, 18? And so there's your tie-in with John the Baptist. Now, Moses was a shadow of what was to come in the future. There's a fancy word for this, and it's called typology. It's typology. It comes from a Greek word, tupos, that means a type or an example. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, excuse me, chapter 10 and verse 11, Paul says this. He says, Now these things happen to them as an example, a type, but they were written down for our instruction. He's talking about the Old Testament. A type or a person or an event in the Old Testament was a foreshadowing of something that was going to come or that was going to become a reality in the New Covenant. And so when you look at your Old Testament, you don't want to throw it out. Uh, there's principles and stuff, but what you want to see there is these things were foreshadowing what was going to happen when Jesus came in the New, in the New Testament. These, type of, these types or these shadows were prophetic signposts foreshadowing what was to come. In Hebrews chapter 8 and verse 5, it says, concerning the Old Covenant, it says, the Old Covenant was a copy, a shadow of heavenly things. In Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 1, yeah, there we go, sorry, my screen looks different. For the law possesses a shadow of good things to come, type, but not the reality itself. In other words, it's there, it's showing something better to come. It is therefore completely unable by the same sacrifices offered continually year after year to perfect those who come to worship. And I've said this all along, the Old Testament sacrificial system was never made to forgive sin. It was to show people the devastating effects of it. Because remember, when you had to give a sin offering, you couldn't get your sick animal and say, hey, this thing's about to die, I'm going to sacrifice it. You had to give your 4-H show sheep. You had to give them the best you had. And that had to be painful because a lot of these people didn't have a lot. But God was trying to impress upon people the gravity of sin. Today we just write it off, think that's ah, no big deal. God will understand. I'll do whatever I want. God will bless me. That's dangerous territory. 
But, but uh, the Hebrew writer tells us that none of these sacrifices, none of these rituals, all they kind of did was kind of push things aside. They didn't perfect, in other words, cleanse the sinner. They didn't take the sin away. Moses was a shadow of what was to come. The Bible points, that, points out a number of instances of the Old Testament being a shadow of the new. Noah's Ark in, is a, was a, uh, in the, excuse me, in the flood, was a type of baptism we see from 1 Peter 3.21. Israel was a type of church we see in Galatians 3.29 and 6.16. The tabernacle and the temple were a type of heaven, Hebrews 9.5. The Old Testament was a type that would be fulfilled in the New Testament, which would be the anti-type. When you understand this, one of the things that becomes more clear is the fact that the church is now spiritual Israel. This is one of the reasons a person does not have to become a Jew before they become a Christian. Because in order to be a, and we'll see this in just a second, but in order to be a, a recipient of the promise, you had to be a descendant of Abraham. Well, Galatians 3.29 tells us, and if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. And so people get some confusion today, and we see this in some churches, and I'm not trying to be critical, just stating fact. We see some churches that focus everything on Israel. Oh, we got to preserve Israel, we, and, and we need to protect them. I'm not talking the political stuff, but from a biblical standpoint. Oh, they hold a special place. This has got to happen. This has got to happen. Oh, we, the fact of the matter is Israel is, has, has no, other, no different standing with God than everyone else. They have to come through Jesus Christ. They cannot just say, hey, I'm, let me in heaven, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Jew culturally, or I'm a Jew, you know, through my lineage. No, you have to come through Christ. And the church is now Israel, and people don't understand that. And Galatians teaches us this among many other passages. It says, when you're in Christ, now you're a descendant of Abraham, because the promise was through Abraham. And in order for us to be able to do that, be a part of that, we have to be one of his heirs, if you will. To, we have to be one of the heirs of the promise. We have to be a part of his family. And once again, this is why Jews have to be baptized into Christ just like everybody else. They can't just say, hey, I'm good. Moses and Jesus did have a lot in common. Both Moses and Jesus were saved in Egypt from a tyrannical leader. And we see, of course, literally Jesus was when he had to leave for Egypt when he was a child, when Herod was killing off all the, all the children. But also, in a figurative way, the fact that Moses was saved and he delivered the people also, in a sense, saved Jesus. Because if the nation would have died out in Egypt, there would have been no Jesus. Uh, both Moses and Jesus survived testing by passing through the water. We see that the five major sermons that Jesus taught mirrored the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament. Both Moses and Jesus had a conversation on the mountaintop during the transfiguration and that's a, a, an awesome sight the last supper that jesus had was performed during the passover meal that moses established both were liber liberators both were lawgivers both were shepherds moses's life and work was a type of what was going to come later through the ministry of jesus let's look at our passage again I will raise up a prophet like you for them from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth. He will speak them whatever I command. So the second observation we have is this, and we've talked about this already, that Jesus is the fulfillment 
of Moses. More than anything else in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is filled with types and shadows of Jesus. When you look at Adam, when you look at Abraham, when you look at Moses, when you look at David, when you look at Elijah, and many others, each in their own way were types of Jesus. They foreshadowed something that was going to happen through Jesus. Listen to this from the lips of Jesus himself from Matthew 12, 40. For just as Jonah was in the belly of the huge fish for three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. So Jesus said, and this was before, obviously, the crucifixion, Jesus says what happened to Jonah is a foreshadowing or is a type of what's going to happen to me. The Old Testament, and this is why the part's important, is all about Jesus. In this morning's core verse, Moses tells us that he's just a type or a foreshadowing of what was to come, a better Moses. There will be a true and better Moses to lead people out of real captivity, not just out of bondage in Egypt. There'll be a true and, and better Moses that will lead us to true eternal freedom away from the bondage of sin. There'll be a true and a better Moses that will lead us to a greater law that gives life. Jesus was the fulfillment of Moses. We know that Jesus was the fulfillment or the anti-type from what other writers in the New Testament said. Listen to what Peter says in Acts 3.22. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. You must obey him in everything he tells you. Sounds familiar. Peter, as he's preaching a sermon, about, as he's getting ready to try to lead all these Jewish people to Christ, he says, the person that you've been waiting for, the person that, you're, that your rabbis have been teaching, the person that the religious leader said is coming is here, and it's Jesus, and you need to listen to him. And so he quotes that, and he understood that that passage was referring to Jesus. Then Peter, in Acts 7.37, or excuse me, not Peter, Stephen. Stephen, remember, was martyred for his faith. He's considered the first martyr. And so as Stephen is defending himself before he's about to be killed... In 737, he says, This Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers. So as Stephen is making this defense as to why he shouldn't be killed, he says, This Jesus that I'm preaching is the one that you guys knew was coming from Deuteronomy 18.18. 18. And this is the guy. You need to listen to him. And by default, you need to listen to me because I'm telling you about him. Jesus himself also said some things. Then Jesus said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Now, Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, if you've read your Old Testament, have you ever seen the name Jesus anywhere written in the Old Testament? The answer to that is no. But here's Jesus saying, Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms all wrote about me. In other words, this is all about me. He's not saying it arrogantly, but he's stating fact that this is all about me and what was to come. It was leading up to something great. God didn't just say, you know what, I'm going to make these sacrifices. Ah, we're going to kill a bunch of animals. Blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> there was a purpose behind it. See, Jesus was greater than Moses. In Matthew 5, 17 and 18, Jesus says, do not think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke of the letter will pass from the law until everything takes place. Jesus says, God, folks, I didn't come here to destroy anything. I didn't come here to ruin anything. 
I came here to finish it. I came here to fulfill it. Jesus taught many times, he says, you have heard it said, referring back to usually what Moses taught. But now I say unto you, so what he's not doing is he's not disrespecting what was said. In other words, Moses says, don't kill. But Jesus says, I'm going to finish this by telling you, you shouldn't even have hate in your heart. See, the Old Testament law worked on the exterior, and the Jewish leaders particularly, and the Jewish people, were very good with exterior. But as you can see when Jesus lived, these same guys who were holy and righteous were plotting to kill somebody. Would you consider if you're plotting to kill somebody being holy and righteous? But see, they could because they had no concept of that was more important was this, not this. And Jesus said, yeah, you were taught this by the ancients, Moses, but here I say unto you, I take it to a deeper level. And so Jesus is saying, I'm fulfilling this, I'm fulfilling this. In John chapter 6, Jesus said this, Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, and they died. In other words, God fed them, but eventually they died. This bread that has come down from heaven so that a person may eat and not die, speaking of himself. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. The bread that I give him for life, of the, excuse me, the bread that I will give him for the life of the world is my flesh. And so what Jesus is saying is, yeah, God fed people with manna. He kept them alive, but they eventually died, didn't they? Common sense. But he says, what I have to offer you, in other words, I'm fulfilling that shadow, and I'm giving you something that will keep you around for eternity. And of course, if you read the rest of that passage, a lot of disciples left him and said, hey, this dude's talking about drinking his blood and eating his flesh. They, they were thinking he was talking about being a cannibal. He wasn't. He was talking about what he had to offer them. And, and they just couldn't understand it. On the Mount of Transfiguration, one other passage on this in Matthew 17. It says, Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led him privately up a high mountain. And he transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. His clothes became white as light. Then Moses, Elijah, appeared before him, talking with him. So Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you want, I'll make three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And while he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my dear son, in whom I take great delight. Listen to him. Now here's Jesus with Moses considered the greatest, and Elijah was no, chump, no chop liver himself. But God says, Hey, no, you're not going to build three temples. Jesus is the one you listen to. In other words, God is saying he is superior to any of them because he fulfills this. Jesus was greater than Moses and Elijah. Let's look at our Deuteronomy passage a final time. I will raise up a prophet like you from them and from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth and he will speak to them whatever I command. So our final observation is this. Jesus will lead you to the ultimate promised land. See, Moses led the people out of bondage to freedom. The people passed through the Red Sea to be able to do that. Moses taught the people. He shepherded the people. He led them through the wilderness. He loved them. He agonized over them. He led the people out of Egypt to the, right to the precipice of the promised land, although he couldn't go because he had a temper. And what's amazing here is that on one level, 
Moses was, I, I just can't, I can't imagine being him. Because at one point, I'm reading in the book of Numbers, probably one of the few interesting parts of the book of Numbers, Moses is talking to God and he says, just kill me. Just please kill me. I can't take this anymore. I can't take these people whining and complaining and constantly carping and turning against me. God, if you love me, kill me right now. But then in the same vein, God's ready to wipe out all the Israelites, and Moses intervenes and said, hey, don't do that. Because if you brought them all out to the desert and you killed them all, everybody would say, well, look what he did. He just killed all his people. But God said, well, we'll make another people through you. But Moses pleaded for these same people that he was ready to be killed over because he just couldn't take it. <laughs> well, why did God allow Moses to lead people out of, the prom into, out of Egypt into the promised land? You know why he did? This is why understanding the context of Scripture is important. He did it because he made a promise that through Abraham, all the nations of earth could be blessed. See how that all ties together? There's a reason for everything that we read. Jesus wants to be the bread of life for us. And the interesting thing is when you look at this and you look at how it all fits together, there's no other book, there's no other religious book on the planet that fits like the scriptures. Um, a lot of them are just a mess. But they, when you look at the Bible, understand those 66 books were written over like a 1,500-year period on several continents by people that were dirt poor to kings and everything in between, even in different languages, and it all fits together. There's no other book that does that. It wasn't given by a holy salamander. It wasn't written on plates that nobody could find. We have thousands and thousands and thousands of manuscripts, pieces of manuscript. When you put them together, you got your Bible, and God has preserved and protected it, but it all fits together. It's all one theme. See, Jesus wants to be the bread of life to us. He wants to be the one that we turn to because he is the only one that can give life. Are you willing to let Jesus be an essential part of your life so that you can enjoy the gift of eternal life? You're not going to experience that through any man-made religion. No man-made religion. Scientology, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witness, you know, Seventh-day Adventist, that's all man-made stuff. It's not going to get you to God. And I know that sounds harsh in this day and age when we have to accept everything and believe everything, but Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's very explicit. Jesus wants to be your deliverer. Jesus wants to rescue you. Are you willing to trust in him? It's amazing to me what people will trust in for salvation, but yet they scoff at Jesus. The other thing that Jesus wants is he wants you to clearly see the truth of life. People say that ignorance is bliss, and honestly, sometimes politically, I wish I didn't know stuff because it's frustrating. But ignorance, ignorance is not blessed. You'll live in darkness. The truth, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And that's universally true. Sometimes that freedom's tough. Are you willing to believe that Jesus can give you truth and that the world doesn't? The world says a lot of stuff that's not true. Politics say a lot of stuff that's not true. But the world tells you all kinds of stuff. Ultimately, Jesus wants to be your Savior. This is what this is all about. The whole Old Testament all leads to Jesus. And Jesus has done all this stuff so that he can be your Lord and Savior. What are you trusting? Who are you trusting with your eternal life? My contention is it's only Jesus. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, we're reminded 
and there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among people by which we must be saved. There is no other place. And I know a lot of people in this day, oh, that's pretty narrow-minded. Well, no, it's Scripture. It's no more narrow-minded than saying one plus one equals two. Although there's probably people out there that think it equals five. But it doesn't. One plus one is two. If you want salvation, it's not going to come any other way but through Jesus. A lot of times we think, well, I can be a good person. I can earn it myself. No, you can't. You get it through the blood of Christ. And then let Christ change you. See, Jesus is the true and better Moses. Consider this. First of all, first those who us, of us who follow Christ. There can be a tendency sometimes for those of us who walk with the Lord to want to go back to the old covenant because we find comfort sometimes in living under rules and regulations. And the Old Testament was really good with that. Man, they just laid it out. And it's like, check, check, check. You know, Islam is popular. You know why? There's five things you got to do. You mark those things off and you're good to go. People like that. And there's a tendency. We want to roll things back to a time before Jesus came and before the grace of the cross came and the empty tomb ever happened because it was cut and dried. You didn't even have to worry about your inside. You could be a dirtbag inside and just look good on the outside and you're good to go. With everything going on in the world, some Christians are tempted to think that things would be better if we went back. But no, the answer is never to go back to the Old Testament law. The only answer is and always will be Jesus, Christ alone. I say to this, though, to those who aren't committed to Jesus, Jesus is better. I don't care what you have going on right now. Jesus is better. I don't care how even good you think your life is right now. Jesus is better. Whoever you're following to get this, what you think is salvation, Jesus is better. No matter who's out there teaching you other garbage, Jesus is better. Not only is he true and a better Moses, he is tr more true and he is better than anything that you can compare him to. Nothing can stand against him. Nothing compares to Jesus. I've told you this before. I've had people say, well, I'm better than those people in the church. And you probably are. Probably are. But you're not better than Jesus. Nothing is better than Jesus. Nothing compares. The answer to whatever is in your heart right now, this morning, is and always will be Jesus. And I don't know how much more plain to make that. This morning, our praise band is going to come up and lead us in a song of decision. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today's the day to do it. And, you know, I know some of you are like, man, I've never heard this before. I'm not, i got to think about this. Think about it, because I want you to think about what you're doing with your life. Ask yourself, where am I going to be when it's all said and done? Ask yourself, where is my life taking me right now? And I'm telling you, without Jesus, it's leading you to a dead end, literally. So this morning... If you want to be a part of God's church, if you want to be a part of the family of Abraham, want to be an heir of the promise, want to have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you need to come forward this morning. The world says a lot of stuff to us that's ugly and untrue. God loves you. Don't let Satan think, well, you're so bad, or the church is going to fall in if I walk in. It's not going to happen. Although in my, in my home church, a bar blew up one Sunday morning when nobody was there. I thought that was kind of interesting. But that didn't happen to church. Church isn't going to fall in when you come in. If you need Jesus as your Lord and Savior, which if you don't have him, you do need him, but if you're ready to accept him this morning, we invite you to come forward to confess your faith in him, to repent to him of your sins, 
to meet him in the baptismal waters where your sins are washed away and you rise and you're going to walk in a newness of life and all the burdens of life all the things that are dragging you down you leave them in the water because jesus takes them from you then you've got to make a decision to live for him if you're an immersed believer and would like to make first christian your home we'd love to have you come forward this morning and if you're struggling need prayer if you need prayer if you want to come forward i'll be glad to pray with you but this time let's stand together and sing you'll come and we'll hope we hope that you will this morning
on the communion slide. Stupid remote doesn't want to work. It was working all day and then all of a sudden the side didn't want to work. I'll, I can get it there. I'll just skip through the song. There we go. <laughs> Been one of those days. Well, this time of our service, we have the opportunity to come around the Lord's table to celebrate communion, to get communion together. And once again, this is one of those things that if you don't understand everything that where it goes back to and where it ends up it's like what do you do this for we're in, during our time of communion we're focusing in we're trying to focus on our relationship with christ and what you have is in the old testament of course we had the passover um, where they celebrated when god passed over all the houses in israel that had the blood of the, of the lamb on the la on the doorpost and then jesus instituted the lord's supper on passover and he tells us he says hey when you do this or do this you do it in remembrance of me he says take eat this is my body drink this is this is my blood he didn't literally mean it's not transubstantiation but he's saying they represent those things and when we take the body and the, we take the cup and the loaf we're reminded of what jesus did that he died on the cross that he was just beaten almost beyond recognition but he died on that cross and if it just ended there it would be a very mournful very sad time where oh jesus died and oh what a bummer but it didn't end there he also said hey we're going to be taking this in my father's house together and he rose on the third day and he's seated at the right hand of the father so one day as we celebrate this in his presence one day we'll celebrate it in his presence and that'll be a joyous day let's pray together lord we're thankful that we can come around this table and remember the sacrifice and the res and the joy that came from that sacrifice and father Help us to, to understand that your son did these things because of the love he had for us and the love you had for us to allow it to happen. And Father, I pray that as we take our communion this morning, we do so with a heart of joy and gladness, but also with a commitment to live for, live for you even more so, to give you more of our life than we did this past week. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.
In your bulletin, we have our announcements for this week. Um, before we get to a couple other items, I want to get through our announcements. Jerry has all of his groups today. Roger's group is meeting. The church office will be closed on Monday, but we will have Young at Heart at 12 o'clock, and we're going to have Catherine Wynn as our speaker. She's running for U.S. Congress. So if you want to meet with her, that'll be a great time to do that. We have all of our studies this week, and on Saturday morning, do you want to announce this? Here, I'll give you a microphone even. So in the past, for all the women of the church, and you know, if you want to bring friends, we've had something called SPA, Scripture, Prayer, and Accountability. We're kind of revamping our women's ministry, and we're calling it the Women's Connect Ministry. Our goal is to connect women with Christ and with each other. And we are having our coffee and cocoa fellowship in the fellowship hall this coming Saturday at 9 a.m. And we'd really like as many women as possible to come. We want your ideas. What do you need? Maybe um, it's an activity that you'd like to do together with other women. It's a service project that you'd like to do. Or it's something in the Bible you'd like to learn about that you don't know about. Uh, we're soliciting your ideas, and we really hope you'll join us on Saturday morning over in the fellowship hall, 9 a.m. Bring your friends. Please come. We'd love to have you. All, all you ladies, please. Path. We're going to we're going to have our narrow path next. Narrow path group is going to meet March 9th. We're going to take the Mexican border trail. It's a very easy trail, so you don't. I'm I'm trying to. Is somebody laughing at that? Oh, what's so funny? Oh, Andrew, on a scale of one to five, it's a, it's a, it's, it's zero. Yeah, you can probably do it in a car. I wouldn't, but you could. Um, yes. Well, yeah, but you got a Subaru, you know. So anyway, make sure you sign up for that. You can do it online or back because the reason for it is is we're going to go into Patagonia to Velvet Elvis. And the last time I went there, I was calling them on the way up, and they were kind of grouchy with me and said, well, you really should have made a reservation. And I said, well, okay, we'll do that next time. But anyway, uh, we're going to be doing that for Narrow Path. Uh, Peach's Pantry is looking for some items. You can see that in the bulletin. Also, if you're interested in being part of a weekly life group that's focusing on Core 52, get a hold of Dale. His contact information is here, and he'll be glad to put that group together. Um, also, Operation Christmas Child's accepting donations for small toys through the month of February, and you can see that. During this month, it's our Faith Promise Month, and at First Christian, uh, we do not come to the congregate. We don't come to the congregation every week asking for money for various things. But during the month of February, we focus in on the missions. And a Faith Promise, what it is, it's it's you got a, a pledge card in your bulletin, or you can go online, and it's saying, "Hey, Lord willing, this is how much I can give above what I'm giving to go directly to missions." And we have four missions that we support. We're going to have uh, Operation Christmas Child come up here in just a second. But these four missions get, uh, each one of them get a fourth of what comes in, and plus anything that gets designated to them. And so what we do is we take these pledges, and that way we have an idea of roughly what we think will come in. Most years we exceed the pledges, some years we don't, because things happen, and that's fine. And your pledge is anonymous, we don't want to know who's given what, don't really care who does, it's between you and God. Uh, but so far we've had, in the first two weeks, we've had 25 pledges, 25 families have pledged over $20,000, so... We're, we're on pace to where we normally are, so that's a good thing. But with that being said, at this time, I'd like to have our Operation Christmas Child reps come up. And make sure you hold the mic up.
Good morning. Uh, I want to spend a few minutes talking to you. Talking to you about uh, Samaritan's Purse, Operation Christmas, uh, Christmas Child, and the Shoebox Ministry. Uh, just in some past history, uh, the Shoebox Ministry started in 93. And this past year, they celebrated their 30th anniversary. And they celebrated the fact that over 220 million boxes have been sent overseas to 170 countries uh, during that 30 years. Now, <clears throat> the U.S. is not responsible for all those boxes. In fact, there are 10 other countries that participate. Uh, Australia, Austria, uh, South Korea, Finland, Switzerland, just to name a few. But the majority of the boxes do come out of the U.S. So, uh, uh, and this year, the shoe boxes from uh, this church, which are processed out at uh, Orange County, went to Mongolia, Thailand, Ukraine, the Philippines, El Salvador, Uruguay, and Madagascar. Thank you. So earlier in the first service, I had trouble holding the mic up. This service is helping me pronounce the word. So uh, in, in passing, I wanted to, we wanted to bring up one other thing. Uh, this past uh, November, uh, December, Jeff made a comment about the great job that Sandy and I do. But our job is a direct reflection upon what you do because we depend on First Christian Church, to provide uh, donations, pack boxes, uh, help us pack cartons, help us pack the truck. You name it, you are the people who help us make us look good. So in passing, what we wanted to say was, thank you for all that you do to make us look good because it makes the church look good and all of you look good. So uh, with that, you got anything to say, shoebox lady? We would like to comment that when a box is delivered to a child overseas, they receive one of these pamphlets. It's a, a gospel about Jesus Christ, and it's in their language. It's just one minute. And then the other option that many of them have is to join a 12-week or 12-lesson discipleship where they learn about God salvation, you name it, they learn about it, and then they can come to Christ if they so desire at the end of that training. Uh, in the past, over 40 million children have been, or have been taught this disciple, and uh, over 50% of them have come to Christ and accepted Christ. So again, thank you for all the help, all the work, and we look forward to a better year this next year, where we can get at least one more box than we did this past year. Thank you very much. Oh, memory verse time. You should have it memorized. Core verse number six. Notice we are at the tail end of the Pentateuch, that is the Torah, that is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. In other words, we're making progress through the Bible. This is Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. And God is making a promise 
to Moses at the tail end of his life. Here's the first phrase we're going to look at. I will raise up for them a prophet like you. I will raise up for them a prophet like you. I will raise up for them a prophet like you. It kind of has this like rhythmical feel to it. I will raise up for them a prophet like you. I will raise up for them a prophet like you. Memory tip number five. The more you can add music or rhythm, the quicker you'll memorize and the more permanent it will be. I will raise it for them, a prophet like you. I will raise it for them, a prophet like you. I will raise it for them, a prophet like you. Next line, from among their fellow brothers. 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 Put it together. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow brothers. Feel the rhythm. I will raise it for them a prophet like you from among their fellow brothers. I will raise it for them a prophet like you from among their fellow brothers. I will raise it for them a prophet like you from among their fellow brothers. That's the first half. Now we get to the second half. And I will put my words in his mouth. I will put my, notice I'm kind of uh, pinching my fingers here, my words in your mouth. And I'm going to put them there. I will put my words in his mouth. I will put my words in his mouth. I will put my words in his mouth. How will he respond? And he, will, he shall speak to them all that I command him. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. So notice the progression. God, Moses, the people. God, the prophet, the people. God, the prophet, the people. I will put my words in his mouth and then the prophet shall, he shall speak to them all that I command him. That's part two. So let's see if we can put it all together now. Deuteronomy 18, 18. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. One more time. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow brothers. And I shall put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Deuteronomy 18, 18. For the week, if you ever want to see these videos again, they are, they are on our Core 52 tab on our website, so you can look at those. One thing before we go to our, our prayers, um, if you were at our Super Bowl party last week and you, and, you, and you own this game, does that look familiar to anyone? Don Baldwin has this game, but somebody else brought the same one, but they accidentally took Don's home with them. So if you would, if you would bring it so you could have an exchange because this was given to her as a gift and it has some special meaning to her. So anyway, if you brought that and you took one of those home, we need to trade. And Don would deeply appreciate it. So anyway, that's that. Now, as far as our prayer concerns, you have a, we have a bunch in the bulletin. Like we said, we have a praise for faith promise of what's happening with that so far. We have, we're praying for things all around the world. We also have a lot of people with health concerns, some that just had surgeries that decided to stumble into church today. So we're glad for that. We're glad they're doing better and wheeling into church. It's good to see Brad back with us. I'm surprised he didn't bring his cat with him, but anyway. Uh, 
We're praying for our troops, our shut-ins. Uh, we're focusing in on Peach's Pantry as the outreach this month, or uh, the, during this month. And also we're focusing in on all the missions that we support, but particularly this week, Operation Christmas Child. Operation Christmas Child used to be one of our outreaches, but we moved it into missions because we just felt like it fit what we do in missions a little bit better than it did in outreach. So keep those things in your prayer. Uh, you can take that home and be praying for people all week long. At this time, let's stand together, and we'll have a, I'll have a closing prayer, and our band will lead us out with a song this morning. Lord God, we thank you that we could be together today, and we thank you for that blessing. And I pray, Lord, that as we live life this week, we live it with enthusiasm, with passion, and with conviction, and that we have a love for people, enough of a love that we want to show them Jesus and share with Jesus with them. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you.